Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. You know, look back at even uh, those slides and all the pictures and, and videos. And, you know, I got to thinking after the first service today, if all we ever accomplish in maybe the hundreds of sermons you've heard me preach, and by the way, so sorry, uh, if all we could accomplish is for you to leave here today and go, you know what? I'd rather have Jesus than anything else in this world. Then you know what? Our time together, our time together has been worth it. And so grateful that you're here today at Connect Church. Thank you for joining us. Whether you're here in the house or you're joining online, we are honored that you would come and make much of Jesus with us today. And I know today's a, a little bit of a holiday in our culture, in our community, but thank you for making it out anyway. And by the way, any candy collected tonight, it's in Leviticus. 10% of it goes to the church, okay? And so y'all make sure you bring it here next Sunday uh, for the pastor and his staff. But anyway, uh, so glad you're here. Uh, last night I was talking with my little boy. I've got a three-year-old, just a beautiful little boy. I mean, I love him with all of my heart. And uh, he, has a, he has a Captain America, not outfit, not costume, it's his uniform, okay? It's got built-in muscles. I thought about wearing something like that. Anyway, but he, he loves it. I'm going to tell you, around our house, we love us in Captain America. And he literally believes he is Captain America when he puts that thing on. It's the greatest thing I've ever seen. And uh, so I asked him last night, because he has a dinosaur you know, costume that he could wear uh, tonight as we go over to Gigi's house, as we uh, collect some candy from some family. And, uh, and I said, man, what do you want to be tonight? Or tomorrow night? He's like, Dad, I want to be Captain America. I was like, yes. That's a dad win, right? And here's why. You know, a few years ago, I was at Mama's house, and we were looking through some old pictures. And, and I saw a picture of myself, and I don't have it. We looked for it. I could not find it again. But I saw a picture of myself, Halloween, when I was just about his age. Y'all ever seen these two dolls before, Raggedy Ann and Raggedy? So my parents decided when I was his age... I didn't need to be Captain America, but they were going to take the clothes off this doll and, and put it on. Here's the problem. They dressed me up as Raggedy Ann, and there was a Raggedy Andy, right? They just dressed me up as the girl, and, and really, the counseling's help. So just real quick, uh, parents, don't damage your kids tonight, right? Just and let them be Captain America. Let them be whatever tonight, just not Raggedy Ann, which is really a... A terrifying W. Hey, we're glad, glad you're here, even on this, on this holiday. Last Sunday, uh, we revisited our five-year vision, a vision that extends from our neighborhood to the very nations, a vision that positions Connect Church to continue to be on the front lines of God's mission to save the world, a vision that sees where God is moving, and for us as a church, to join Him there. And as we begin again to talk through what it looks like to have a generous life, why do we need a new home? Well, we're growing as a church. But we also recognize that on this Sunday, that there are 75,000 people in our small community who are in nobody's church. We've got to make some room for them. We also realize this, that we have a heartbeat 
for every student, college student, young adult, young couple, older couple, families, for singles, for widows and widowers, to reach them with the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ and to connect them with Christ through community that is His church and to send all of us as disciples not only across the street but across and around the world. And we know this, to see this done, we must be a generous church filled with generous people. Now, this is my first pastor gig. I've been a youth pastor um, all my adult life. Uh, This is my first pastor gig, but I've been in in several churches. I want to tell you, Connect Church, you are the most generous church and I've ever been a part of. Thank you for living a generous life, for being a, a generous people. Today, I want us to talk about the risk and the reward of a generous life. The risk and the reward of a generous life. Now, again, I want you to be careful for just writing off this sermon because it bears in its title uh, the language, the word generosity. Writing it off is just another sermon about my money and the church wanting my money. Listen, this is a sermon far greater than about money. It's about a generous life. Hey, yes, our finances play an important part of a generous life, but they are not everything. I I love this for Corey Tim, but I mean again. Mom, where are you at? What happened? Mom, what happened? I, yeah, I'm glad you didn't. Yeah, because it's called blackmail. Raggedy Andy, could have killed you. Okay, here we go. I, I love what Corey Tim Boone says. The measure of a life, after all, is not its duration, but its donation. When it comes to, a, when it comes to generosity, here's the truth we know. That the God we serve is infinitely generous. The God who created us is infinitely generous. And he created you and I to live generous lives. I love what John MacArthur once wrote. He said this, God made all of his creation to give. He made the sun, the moon, the stars, the clouds, the earth, the plants to give. He also designed his supreme creation, man, you and I, to give. But watch this statement, but fallen man is the most reluctant giver in all of God's creation. I've been in North Carolina this past week and uh, preaching in the mountains for for an event. And, uh, man, how beautiful the mountains are. I would encourage you to drive up in the mountains of North Carolina, except for that you'll never get there uh, because of traffic. But it's absolutely beautiful. And I got to thinking, of course, this message has been on my mind. I've been working on it all week. I got to thinking there's no reason... There's no reason for trees to turn this for the leaves on the trees to turn this beautiful, except for that we live and we serve a God who is generous. That even leaves sing out His glory, and they give to us just to look at and how beautiful they are. But the most reluctant giver in all of God's creation is a fallen man. Is the sinful Man, if you have your Bibles, turn Matthew chapter 25 with me. I want us to look here at a parable. Remember what a parable is. It's a short story that does, in its part, it does, it works to reveal a deeper spiritual truth. And, and here in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus gives us a parable. And in it, he begins to reveal to us the very risk and reward of a generous life. He highlights for us what it looks like to live a generous life. 
And here's what we find. Now, in the context of Matthew chapter 24, it's important that we understand where we are. Jesus is talking about this one reality. And church, can I remind you, can I encourage you in this reality that Jesus is coming again? That, hey, he's coming again. Adrian Rogers would say it this way. You and I ought to live as if Jesus died yesterday, he rose this morning, and he's coming back again tonight. Jesus is coming again. And what he begins to teach us is how you and I live a generous life in light of the truth that he's coming again. Listen to his words. He says, for it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants And watch this language. And entrusted to them his property. Entrusted to them his property. In this parable, you have have a master and you have his servants. Now, the servants represent a couple different types of people. As we're going to find the master is Christ himself. And the servants, uh, they represent two types of folks. Those who are in Christ and who live a generous life and those who are not in Christ, and they have no generosity in their life. They do not live a generous life. And by the way, as we continue on in this parable, we're going to find it's pretty easily distinguishable which set of servants these are. And we find this, and I want, you to, I want to draw your attention to this language. Watch, the Bible says that the master entrusted to them his property. His property. Hey, can I, can I just reinforce the truth we already know to be true? That's we're reminded of here in Matthew chapter 25. You ready? It's all his. All of it belongs to the Lord. It is all his anyway. I love this. The psalmist teaches us this truth and reinforces this truth. In Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. That You ready? Everything is the Lord's. I love what Timothy Keller would teach. He says, a lack of generosity refuses to acknowledge that your assets are not really yours, but they are God's. You know, the older I get, this truth I realize more and more. That my wife, It's not my property. She belongs to her king. My kids, my children, they are not my property. They belong to their king and their creator. I am not my own. I am property of my king because of what Christ has purchased for me through his blood. My money, my home, all of it, it's not mine. It's his, that he is entrusted, it's Matthew 25, that he is entrusted to me to steward well. And he has given each of us wonderful gifts to steward well, to his glory, to our good, and to the good of other people. Living a generous life allows you and, I to, you and I to recognize, to remember, and to rejoice that all of it's his anyway. Back to the parable. Look at verse 15. So the master gives to one, he gives five talents. To another, two. And to another, one. 
one each according to his ability, and then he went away. In the New Testament, a talent was a way of measuring precious metals. And so a talent here in Matthew chapter 25 was equal to 20 years of the average salary. If we were to juxtapose that to today, how much would a talent be worth? About a million dollars. So, so let's reread this in our context. To one, he gives five million. To the other, two million. And to the other, he gives one million dollars. Quite a sum of money. And watch this. As this parable plays out, uh, we kind of see what these servants do. And it really reveals who their master really is. Um, he had received the five talents, went at once, and traded with them. And he made five talents more. Hey, what a great investment. 100% on your returns, your return on investment. It's pretty incredible here. Verse 17, so also he who had the two talents made two talents more. In today's term, he took two million and he made four million. Watch this. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. This third servant, Something's off. Something's, something's wrong. It seems as if he doesn't know his master, nor does he know how his master works. But anyway, the Bible teaches us that, and Jesus would teach that. Not, not, now, after a long time, the master of those servants came, and, and he settled the accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I've made five talents more. Something to brag about. And I love this, that his master said to him. Now, before I read these words, can I tell you the great danger of a setting like this today? That the only times you will ever hear these words would be on a day like today. That these words will never again be heard by you. That's the great tragedy of a time, the great danger of a time today. And so you know what my prayer is? Is that one day you'll hear these words far greater than I could ever speak them. With a far more familiar voice. Listen to what the master says. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Enter into the joy of your master. You see, and the master said the same thing to the servant who was entrusted with two talents and brought back to him four. And so here it is. Two of the servants who were willing to risk all they were entrusted by their master in order to please him. They were willing to risk their very lives, mind you, with no guarantee in order to serve their master well. And here's what I want us to note, believer. And this is important for us to know. You ready? You see, the master, not the talents. The master, not the money. The master. He was the greatest reward. To the servants. He was their greatest reward, r- worth risking everything for, worth investing everything in. And here's the truth for us, believer. 
I want you to hear me. Jesus is our greatest reward. He is worth risking everything for and investing our entire lives in. When I was at Valley Grove uh, years ago, I had a youth worker by the name of Willard. Love Willard. Uh, He's a TWRA officer, and just every time I see him, I just love being around Willard. He loves Jesus. In every email I would send him, he'd always respond. He'd always respond to the email, and at the very end, those those little lines you put before your name, maybe for me, if you get an email from me, it's in Christ, Anthony Kendall. For others, sincerely, you put your name. You know what his little description was? Longing to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, comma, underneath Willard. I loved it. I love the way he signed every letter he wrote, every email he sent, longing to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Let me ask you this, church. Do you long to hear that from your master? Hey, do you long to hear those words spoken by Jesus one day over your very life, your very investment into his kingdom? Are you willing to invest what God has entrusted to you to bring him honor, to bring him glory, and to watch it work for your good and the good of others? You might be asking here today, listen, I, I hear that, but what has God entrusted to me? God hasn't given me anything. God hasn't gifted anything to me, really. What has God entrusted to you? How about your life? How about your next breath? How about time? How about your spouse, your kids, your friendships, your your relationships, your home, your talents, your, your passions, your job? Students, how about your campus or your ball team? How about your finances? Hey, believer, here's one for us. How about the gospel? Christ has entrusted all of us with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what I'm convinced of? That as a church, we're perhaps more stingy with the gospel than we are anything else. Man, we love the idea, this good news that Jesus saved me and he loves me and he died on the cross for me and he rose from the grave for me. But how generous really are we with the good news? of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What has God entrusted with us? Everything. What has God gifted to us? All things. And the question comes from Matthew chapter 25. Hey, what are you willing to risk? What are you willing to invest into your master? You might say this. What do you mean, Anthony, by risking? When I talk risking, when we look at risking in Matthew chapter 25, what we are talking about is investment. And investing always requires some risk, meaning the risk and reward of a generous life might look a little different than you thought it would. Might mean that your life might might not turn out just like you, you had dreamed. Maybe your dreams might change a little bit. Your resources might go to places you never imagined. It might mean that you invest your time, your talent, and your treasure in ways that you never thought you would. Hey, following Jesus is risky. But I want you to hear me. The reward is far greater than any risk you and I could ever take for him. 
Anthony, what is the reward? If I risk my life, if I invest my life in him, what is the reward? The reward is one day that you close your eyes in death on this earth. And you hear a voice that maybe you never audibly heard here on earth. But it's the most familiar voice you've ever heard before. And one day you stand before him, embracing the risk and reward of a generous life. And you hear from him, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm 39 years old, and I hope I have a whole lot of time left here. I want to I want to see my kids married and walk my daughters down the aisle. I don't want to pay for it, but I want to walk them down the aisle. and I want to hug and kiss my grandbabies. And I, but I don't know how much time God's allotted for my life here. But as every year passes, and not because I'm a pastor, but simply because I'm a Christ follower, I find myself longing more and more to hear from him, well done. To get to the end of my day and know that I'd lived a risk and reward type of generous life that day, that if I would see him tonight, I'd hear from his mouth his very words, well done, good and faithful servant. There's the reward, church. There's the great reward. We also know this. There was another servant. There's a third guy in this whole equation. Went and took the talent, and he buried it. And now we see the scene when the master comes back. He says, listen to the master, this third servant. I I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. I want to stop there just for a moment. Well done, well done, wicked. My goodness. What a a contrast. And not only was it to the first two servants, you now enter the joy of your master. Watch this in verse 30. And cast this worthless servant into outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. On a day... Where that which is scary is celebrated, like today, there's nothing more troubling, there's nothing scarier than this moment right here. I think of this servant, and I begin to ask, what was so different about him? And you know what I begin to see? What becomes clear to me is this servant didn't know his master. He didn't really know his master, nor was he willing to risk any of his life, to invest any of his life into his master. Well done. Well done. Wicked. I got to thinking, why is he called wicked? Man, nowhere in here do we find that he steals the talent. Nowhere in here does he embezzle it misappropriate the funds. Nowhere here does he find that that he goes and he takes this talent and he just squanders it on a weekend in Cancun. None of that is visible here. 
So why is this third servant, in light of those who have been commended and told well done, why is he called wicked? You know what Jesus teaches us here? That wickedness is not always about something we do wrong. But wickedness is also found in the good things that we fail to do. You see this third servant? He failed to risk anything for his master. He wasted his talent. He wasted his life. And he wasted his eternity. He lost it all because he was unwilling to risk anything for his master. Hey, listen to me. With zero joy, I say this. Hell will be filled with people who know Jesus' name but have never risked or invested any part of their life into him. And that's the third servant we see here in Matthew chapter 25. I love what John Piper said in relation to this risk and reward generous life. He says this, you either risk your life or watch this church or you waste it. You either risk your life or you waste your life. Now, we read Matthew chapter 25, and all of us want to find some middle ground, right? Like, we're uncomfortable with the two polar opposites. No, no, hear me. Matthew 25 gives no middle ground. You either risk and invest your life in Christ, or you waste your life. There is no middle ground. Go back home. Read Matthew 25 again. There is no middle ground to have. I was preaching in the mountains of uh, North Carolina this past week for a Christian school. Brought hundreds of their teenagers there, and I uh, had a chance to share the gospel with them. I loved it. It was beautiful out there, and here were a group of teenagers. Now, I've not been in student ministry in four years, and so I get all the more nervous now because I just don't preach in front of teenagers all the time except for those who are here on Sunday mornings. Now, it's there, but you know what? From their teachers and their administrators, although they were in a Christian school, a lot of this class, this ninth grade class that I was preaching in front of, were lost and apart from Christ. One teacher said to me, they're, they're godless. In a Christian school, and they're godless. So you know I decided? Man, I, I'm going to preach the paint off the walls. I, I'm going to give the gospel. Man, I'm going to do it with all the passion I can. I'm just going to sweat all over whatever it takes. Man, I, I'm going to preach the gospel. Man, so I did. And over two nights... And we saw somewhere in the neighborhood 25, 30 of those students give their hearts and their lives to Jesus. I was at a bonfire. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I was at a bonfire after one of the services. And I remember looking out there, and, and there was this young black man. I remember seeing him because it was mostly white people. And I saw him out in the crowd. And I watched him just a little bit as we would eat supper together. And here's what I knew about him. He was the most influential young man on the entire trip. Everybody loved him. Everybody was drawn to him. And man, his personality just filled the room. I gave the gospel one night. He was saved. We went to the bonfire. And I was watching the bonfire just thinking, I don't know, anytime I get near a bonfire and students, I just don't want to lose an eyeball, right? You know, they have those pokers around. I'm just going, God, please, just I want to leave my sight. And, and uh, he stops and goes, hey, hey, pastor, come here. Yeah, buddy, he goes, I was never really raised in church. You can go to church. 
He said, I'm not really into God. I'm not really into church. He said, because I'm at this school, I have to hear messages all the time. He says, I never respond. He said, because I know that I'm going to go back living my life the way I want to. I was like, where is this going? He said, but not today. He said, not tonight. He said, I want you to know that my life has been changed by Jesus. He says, I want you to know it's different tonight. And it's going to be different tomorrow, he told me. You know what's amazing? As I talked with this young man, he was tired of wasting his life. Living life by and for himself. He was tired of wasting his life, wasting his influence. And I watched even in short form, in short order on that trip, how this young man, giving his heart and his life to Jesus, was willing to risk his life, invest his life in Jesus, stop living his life by and for himself so that he can live the risk and reward life of a generous follower of Jesus Christ. Hey, I don't know about you, but I want to be a servant of Christ. Like I see in those two in Matthew chapter 25, longing and working, serving, giving everything I have to hear well done, good, and faithful servant. Why? Because he is worthy of our lives. He is worthy of our lives. And so this is a little bit corny, I, I promise you, I know. But a couple of days ago, I just began to write out a pledge that I simply entitled, A Pledge the Servant of Christ, in light of Matthew chapter 25. And here's what I wrote out just for me. I am a servant of Christ, and I will live a generous life because he has been so generous to me. I will risk my time by investing it in my relationship with my master Jesus, reading his word and in prayer each day. I will risk my time by investing it in my wife and my kids who God has entrusted to me, putting down my phone, turning off the screens, and clocking out of my job, investing both quantity and quality time with them, desiring above all to lead them to Jesus. I will risk my time by helping others, loving others, serving them, all the while sharing and living out the gospel in front of them. I will risk my time by investing it and gathering with my faith family faithfully every Sunday. His church, the very bride Jesus died for. I am a servant of Christ, and I will live a generous life. I will risk my talents by investing them where God has planted me in my community, on my campus, and in the workplace, literally to point alone people to Jesus Christ. My job and my business will serve as a mission field that I will invest in in order to share and live out the gospel. I risk my talents by investing them in the life of my church where God has planted my life, serving him by serving the body of Christ. I am a servant of Christ and I will live a generous life. I will risk my treasure to provide well for my family that God has entrusted to me to bless others. I will risk my treasure and give generously in the life and the ministry to the church God's called me to. I will work for my master. I will live, love, invest, and risk my life in such a way that I will hear from him one day in my homecoming. Well done. Good. 
and faithful servant. I am a servant of Christ. And I will risk my life and invest my life in Him. And find in Him my greatest reward. You see, the risk and the investment of a generous life is an investment of our time, our talents, and our treasure into the kingdom of God. We saw such a life in the Apostle Paul. Paul was undoubtedly a a servant of Christ who lived a, a generous life. Acts chapter 20, verse 35, it captures some of his last words to the church. Hey, hey, don't you know that the last words of a man or a woman are their most important? It's what they want to say the most and last the longest. Well, here's some of the last words of Paul in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. He writes to the church, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, himself who said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Hey, isn't it amazing that some of the last words of the Apostle Paul deal with a generous life? Deal in in generosity that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive? Let me remind you, believer, the greatest reward in this life is life himself. Jesus. Why live a generous life if you're a believer? Why live it? And let me remind you again and caution you. This message is more than just about money. It's about the whole of your life. It's about all of it. Why live a generous life? Because we have been loved by a generous life. I think of the master who gives us all things. A master who created us, who loves us, who desires us. Yet all of us have rebelled against this, our master, by our sin and our selfishness. We have struggled with wanting to be the masters or the gods of our own lives. And yet he still has loved us and generously gave his life for us. Ephesians 2.13 says this, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I think of his investment of his blood, his shame, his selflessness, his death in his life to purchase for you and I what we could not afford, what we could not buy ourselves, and that is our very salvation. We live a generous life because we serve an infinitely generous God who's been so good to us. Look no further than the cross to see how infinitely generous our God is. Uh, Johnny Hunt is a pastor and a preacher who's probably and one of my favorites. Uh, to borrow a wonderful phrase from uh, Buddy the Elf, he has a ginormous church down in, in Georgia, Woodstock, Georgia, that are doing some pretty incredible things in the kingdom. You see, Johnny was, was a young man who wasn't raised in church. Of Native American background, he was an alcoholic, a gambler, and listen, spent most of his time in pool halls, gambling away his money. Well, somebody shared the gospel with Johnny. Johnny gave his heart and his life to Jesus, and everything changed it. And wouldn't you know that God would call him in the ministry, where he would preach the gospel. And he talks about the time where he and his wife 
took one of their very first churches to pastor. He was in Bible college, and man, he took this small church and began to pastor it. And he'll never forget the Sunday as he tells the story that a man by the name of Otis and Otis's wife came up to him and said, Hey, Pastor Johnny, uh, we lost our two twin children when they were so young, and we don't have any more children. Pastor Johnny, we would like to adopt you and your wife and take care of you while you're here at our church. And Johnny's like, oh, you don't have to do that. Otis's like, no, I insist. And so Otis and his wife, after church on Sundays, would take Johnny, his wife, out to eat. He would buy uh, uh, suits for Johnny to preach in, and they would buy dresses for his wife to wear. Uh, Johnny had no money at the time. They would also pay for for Johnny's Bible college. So generous was Otis and his wife to Johnny and his. Well, you see, every time Johnny would see Otis on a Sunday morning, um, they, would, they would say hi to each other, and Otis would do this. Every time he saw Johnny, he'd reach down deep into his pocket. He'd pull out a $100 bill, and he would shake Johnny's hand with it. And just give him $100 to help him at this small church to do life. I had a man like that in my life. Jimmy Temple would always do that to me, a local kind of hero around here. By the way, the position of Otis is still open here at Connect Church, just in case anybody was. I'm kidding. Hey, you, you know what? Johnny would go on from that church, and he would pastor bigger and greater churches than even that one. Well, as Johnny would rise in his success as a pastor, Otis would get older, and years down the road, Otis got really sick. Otis's wife called Johnny, this big-time pastor, said, Johnny, Otis is real sick. I- I'm afraid if you don't come now, you won't get to say goodbye to him. He's in the hospital. He's not doing well. Hey, Johnny dropped everything he could. Otis had been so generous, not just with his money, but with his very life. To Johnny and his wife, Johnny dropped everything he was doing. He went down to the hospital and he met Otis's wife there in the waiting room. And there was a nurse with her. And Otis's wife said, hey, Johnny, thank you so much for coming. But you got to know, he's unconscious and he's not responding at all. And so just pray over him. Let him know you're here, but just not doing well. Johnny walked down the hall towards Otis's hospital room. And in his heart and his mind, he's just overwhelmed by how generous Otis and his wife had been. Overwhelmed by the generous life he had. And so he got to the hospital room and he opened the door. And there he saw Otis, unconscious, hooked up to all the machines. And he stood there and he cried out in the room, Otis! And if you know Johnny, he has a big voice. And he did it again. He said, Otis, it's Johnny. And Johnny tells the story that Otis in his hospital bed, dying, took his right hand and began to reach down the right side of his leg. Began to reach down again one last time to be generous to Johnny. And to hear Johnny preach it, at that moment, he slams the pulpit and says, you die! 
like you live. You die like you live. You die like you live, he told the crowd. And here's what he was saying. That Otis lived a generous life, and even in his death, he died generous. Church, in light of Matthew chapter 25, hey, can I remind you of this truth? You die like you live. And the question today for us is, as servants of Christ, are you and I embracing the risk and the reward of a generous life? A life lived, risking it all for Jesus, investing it all, in him, taking what God has entrusted to us and investing it in him. You die like you live. And are we living generous lives? Let's pray together, can we? Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.